0: Can remain standing as we read the scripture for today from Ecclesiastes. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth, and the dawn of the life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look Through the window are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sounds of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pray this morning that we would um, just hear from you, hear from your word hear some tough truth probably this morning. Lord, I ask that as your word is preached, that we would um, be open to what you have to speak through Jimbo and through your word. God, we ask that you would just bless this time and that we would go out of here changed. In your name.
1: Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat. And if you haven't already, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, then there should be one in the pew. And in front of you that looks like this, and if you don't own a Bible, then you are welcome to have that as your Independence Day gift from us. Um, all I ask in return is you'll take those first few pages that are printed in color, and if you'll read those pages, the ones that are printed in color, uh, that's the only favor I ask in return, and then that can be your personal Bible. Um, happy birthday to America. All right. That was kind of weak, but all right. Um, today, as a country, we, we celebrate uh, our independence, our freedom. And we all know that that freedom doesn't come free. And we think about that, and we say that, and we often say that on um, <clears throat> Memorial Day, but also we must recognize that uh, the men who set forth this idea of this country, they paid a price. Uh, Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered General George Washington to open fire on the Nelson home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his mill were destroyed for over a year. He lived in for- in the forest and in caves, returning home only to find his wife dead, and children vanished. And a few weeks later, he also died from exhaustion. A heavy price was paid by many for us to have the freedom we have today including many of the 56 men who originally signed the Declaration of Independence. And we need to be grateful for that, for that freedom. One of the things I think about today uh, as a pastor is I'm very grateful for the freedom that, that we don't have to use euphemisms when we talk about this. And what I mean is, if, if you've got any friends that have served overseas in missions in countries where it's illegal to share Christ, then you can't just say, hey, how can I pray for you, right? Like in the emails, there's this, Coded language that you have to use, and 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 so when they lead someone to Christ, they'll say, "Someone new, join the company," right? Or they'll say, "Can you send us some more training manuals?" Because they need more Bibles, and they have to use all this coded language, and they have to worry. And and uh, and I've I've only tasted a small taste of that in my missions travels overseas. Just, just I mean, just a minuscule taste of that, and I, I can't imagine what it's like to live in that, to live. Constantly having to use different words and, and use wisdom. See, see here in our country, uh, your pastors are always, including me, trying to encourage you, please go share the gospel. Please share the gospel with your friends. Please share the gospel with your co-workers. Please share the gospel with your neighbors. And the reason we don't do it often is because we just feel awkward or we don't know how. And so another things true in other countries where they're not sharing the gospel sometimes because it's not wise at that moment to share the gospel or because they've been told if we find out you continue to share the gospel we will deport or imprison your family so we've got a freedom that we ought not take for granted that we get to openly worship and serve and honor our lord but see i think most of us Deep down, hope that our lives would count for something like these 56 men. Now, I don't think any of us want to go through that kind of suffering and the things that they went through, but we all hope that we would do something that would outlast ourselves. Solomon talks about this all throughout Ecclesiastes, this idea of things that that don't outlast, that one generation comes and another generation goes. But every once in a while, there is something that we do that lasts longer than ourselves, and we want this idea, but the problem is we get so busy. And far too often, we kind of just wait till the end and wish we would have done. Um, When we die, we want to have done something like these men. But but we often wait too long. Alexander Hamilton said, uh, towards the end of his career, he said, A garden, you know, is a very usual refuge of a disappointed politician. Accordingly, I have purchased a few acres, about nine miles from town and have built a house, and I'm cultivating a garden. So Alexander Hamilton, who accomplished much at the end of his life, said, even I'm a little disappointed in what I haven't done. Um, So it brings me to my movie illustration for the week, and I'll explain next week why I've used a movie illustration every week. But So my movie for this week is the movie The Bucket List, with Jack Nicholson, uh, and uh, who's the other guy? I've got it written down. Somebody yell it out. Morgan Freeman. Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. Uh, So Jack Nicholson plays Edward Cole, and Morgan Freeman plays um, Carter Chambers. And so basically, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Carter Chambers, is a car mechanic. Now, he's brilliant. This guy's brilliant, but he's a car mechanic. And he was a car mechanic to take care of his family, um, And uh, whereas Edward Cole is a... Is a business mogul, billionaire that owns hospitals and all sorts of other things, and um, <clears throat> and he's kind of a horrible person, just to be honest, and uh, he's not a very good guy. Whereas Carter Chambers is, is a pretty decent guy by all measures, but uh, in, in looking at his life, he doesn't feel uh, like he's accomplished a whole lot. Well, <clears throat> Edward Cole owns hospitals, and he's, he's uh, infamous for his stances on that I don't run health spas, I run hospitals, and so all of my hospitals are going to have two beds in every room, no exceptions, because this is about making money, not about making you comfortable. And he constantly had this idea, right? And so when Edward Cole finally gets sick, he ends up in the hospital, and of course he says, I want a room to myself. And they said, and they quoted back to him, but what you said was that you run hospitals, not health spas, and so there's two beds in every room, no exceptions. And he says, but I've never been sick before. And so he gets stuck in this room with Morgan Freeman's character who constantly watches Jeopardy answering all the questions. And so as they sit there, at first they're annoyed by each other. Um, When Morgan Freeman's character finds out that he owns this hospital, my favorite thing that he says, he goes, so this is your hospital, huh? Jack Nicholson's character says, yeah, pretty much. He goes, you should know that the pea soup is horrible. and You should do something about that. But they become friends, and they realize that both of them have been diagnosed with only six months to live, a year at best. And neither of them feel like they've fulfilled everything they've wanted. And so here at the very end of their life, they take this journey using Edward Cole's money. And they go through all these things. One One of the things Edward Cole says to Carter is that 45 years goes way faster than you think it will. And so as they get to the end of their life, they decide to go on this journey together. They talk a lot about faith and death and living life and what makes life enjoyable. Um, And ultimately, they both find themselves in death, really, I believe, without finding what it was really about. I think fear is interesting to me as a public speaker, that public speaking is the number one fear in America and death is the number two fear. So we're more scared of preaching at our funeral than having a funeral. But, we, but my main idea for this morning is that we need not fear death. For to live as Christ and to die is gain, as the Apostle Paul said. And I, I, we're coming towards the conclusion of Ecclesiastes now. And it's been a heavy book. And it's just going to get a little heavier before we finish. And so we've got this week and next, and then we're done with Ecclesiastes. But one of the things that is, that is brought up often in here is that death comes to us all. It's brought up so many times all throughout Ecclesiastes, and then it kind of lands in chapter nine. He tells us that, but this I laid to heart examining it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deed, how the righteous and their deed, uh, I examine it all how the righteous and their wise and their deeds are in the hands of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And they forever and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun." Edward Cole, in an argument with Carter Chambers, towards the end of the movie, says, We're in the same boat here. But what he doesn't realize is even the irony of that statement. As a billionaire stands next to a poor mechanic and they're trying to figure out what life is about, and he says, We're in the same boat here. Death is the great equalizer. See, at this point, when you've just got a little bit left to live, does it matter if you were a billionaire or a mechanic? It doesn't. See, Solomon's telling us this, that ultimately it doesn't matter because ultimately we all end up in the dust. One of the things he says, Edward Cole says in the movie, he says, I've built a billion-dollar business from the ground up. Presidents have asked for my advice. But what does it matter now? 2 Corinthians 4.16-5.10 through 5, 10 speaks a little bit to this as well. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer shell is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We are all in the process of dying. Now, if you're under 25, then your body, in a way, is kind of continually getting better, almost. Like, it's, it's, it's developing. It's getting to that point. After 25 or so, just know, it's downhill from that point, right? See, I wasn't always this husky of a fella. I used to have the kind of metabolism that I could eat whatever I wanted, and then it would just burn off anyway. And it's something about after you hit 25, the metabolism starts to slow I'm about to be 34 years old in just a few weeks, and already my knees sound like broccoli crackling whenever I go upstairs. There are times when I get down to tie my shoe that I go, well, getting up is going to hurt, right? My kids asked me to go jump on the trampoline, and I go, that's a really bad idea. That's going to end in Daddy not being able to walk for a day or two. And so the other day, my kids were watching TV, and this infomercial came on for a Medicaid-sponsored knee brace. And my son said, Daddy, you should call and get that knee brace so you can jump on the trampoline with us. If only it worked that way. If only it worked that way. We are all slowly dying. And if we focus on that, if we focus again on the things that are under the sun, the things that can be... Uh, sensed by our five senses that we can touch and sense and feel if we go by the pains and aches in our bodies or we go by the things that we can't do anymore or we go by the fact that our body's decaying slowly then yes we will lose heart but if we realize that we could be renewed day by day on the inside and that this isn't even our home that this is what's temporary for some reason we get so focused on what's under the sun and don't realize this doesn't last long but eternity is ahead of us, and that's we where we are to invest ourselves is into eternity. He continues on in chapter four. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Again, not by the senses, for things that are seen are transient. In other words, temporary. It's not going to last long. The things that you see won't last, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Matt Chandler says it this way often. He says, Everything we love is on its way to the ground or the junkyard. Your brand new car, when you get in it and you love that smell, that brand new car smell, and so like you make people wipe their feet off before they get in your car. If they foolishly think they can bring a drink into your car, you rebuke them and correct them, not in my baby. Once you don't realize that thing is on its way to the junkyard. It's in process of decay. Continuing on to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians says for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, it's not even a house, it's a tent, we have we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. When he uses this word guarantee here, it's like, it's like a deposit down on something. Abraham Lincoln said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed is- insufficient for the day. If Abraham Lincoln finds himself to the place where he has to just fall to his knees because everything else is insufficient, why are we so obsessed with the things that are around us? Why are we so obsessed with this tent rather than our house? This is not our home. We need not fear death because to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Our life is not for the purpose of this tent, but for the purpose of Christ, to invest in heavenly treasures. And our death is nothing to be feared. As a matter of fact, as a follower of Christ, it is to be rejoiced in. Paul continues to say, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, again, not by sight, not by the senses. You must get this. Solomon is begging with you, and I as well. Do not be distracted by the things that we sense with our five senses. This is not our home. We are only here temporarily. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. We'd rather be in heaven. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Solomon, as he winds down Ecclesiastes, towards his conclusion here in these final chapters that we'll hit this week and next. This is his message. We're all going to die. That doesn't have to be a depressing idea. right? When I start out that my sermon today is going to be about the fact that we're all going to die, you may have thought, I should have just stayed home. I really wanted this to be a happy, uplifting sermon. This is not what I was looking for. What I want you to realize is this is a happy, uplifting sermon. That to fear death means we care more about what we can sense than what God has promised. And God has promised us something incredible. And let us chase after that instead of what's here. See, when Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain, and we're going to get to that passage in a little bit. Because I believe in many ways it's like the Old Testament asks questions that the New Testament answers. And so I want us to see what Solomon's asking us here, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to see some more clarified answers to that. Continue in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes to live as Christ, to die as gain. When Paul says that, I want to focus today on to live as Christ. See, The very fact that you're here tells me that you at least have some premonition, some presupposition that to die is gain. That some level of you probably believes that there is eternal life after we die. After we leave this body, there's something to be had afterwards eternally in paradise. Now, we may disagree on how you get there, and we'll get to that in a minute. But to die is gain really isn't a hard sell to a church crowd. But to live as Christ. Not what will you do if you die. But how are you going to live today? What are you going to do with today? Now that you have life. So continuing in chapter 9. Solomon says. Go. Eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Amen. Glad she's back in town. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol To which you are going. Did you catch that? So many things in this passage. One. Bread in and of itself isn't just a great source of joy. Now I love some good bread. But the real joy I think is found when we enjoy it with each other. When we have people in our lives. Last night I had Taco Saturday. It wasn't Taco Tuesday. We didn't care if it alliterated. Taco Saturday with some friends at the house. And the tacos were good, but the company was better. And the tacos brought joy, don't get me wrong. But the company made it much better. Getting to hang out with people, getting to spend time with people, getting to laugh. I hope, I hope that as you celebrate our country's birthday, as you celebrate our independence, that you don't do it alone. I hope that you find some people to do it with, that you surround yourself with some people and you find joy in eating together. Solomon loves that. It's a theme in here. And I I, I resonate with Solomon on that. A good meal with some good friends. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life. If, if we live life by our senses. Listen to me, married people. If we live life by our senses, eventually our spouse won't be enough for us. Now, that is hard to hear. If we live just by our senses, eventually there will be something more enticing. But if we find our joy in the Lord, you'll have the greatest marriage you could possibly ever have. This month, I will, next Sunday, actually, I will have been married 12 years to my wife. Now, you can clap for that, that's good. Most of those years were pretty amazing. She'll agree to that. There were some rough spots. Mostly my fault. She'll she'll amen that too. But I'm going to tell you, the, the the key to a good marriage, and not that 12 years even makes me an expert, right? I mean, I've kind of beaten the odds at this point, which is good. But 12 years doesn't make me an expert. But I'll tell you, the key to a good marriage isn't Hollywood. I know that part. I know that much. A key to a good marriage isn't the love that Hollywood sells you. It's a love rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a marriage rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, he says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge and wisdom and Sheol to which you are going. This tells me a lot here, verse 10. See, we've talked before about how work was given to us before the fall of man. We pointed that out, right? In Genesis, that work was given to us before sin entered the world. Work is not a curse. It is not a punishment. It's part of our purpose. We're meant to work. We're not meant to sit around. We're meant to do stuff. We're meant to gain knowledge. And one of the parts of hell that Sheol, that he talks about, is there's no work. There's no thought. You don't get to sit there and contemplate and and pontificate on deep ideas. There's no wisdom, there's no work, there's nothing to do. Some of us have found ourselves in that already. Do something with your life. To live is Christ. Not to rest. To live is Christ. Let's skip to our main passage that I wanted to... Our central passage for this morning. Chapter 11, starting in verse 9. The end of 11, we're going to go towards... 12, which is the final chapter, and then we'll pick up the rest of 12 next week. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I want to stop here for a minute. In this passage, in, in chapter 12, that we're going to continue in, he's going to address Solomon as an old man. This is towards the end of his life. This is We're now in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. He's going to address the young and he's going to address the old as an old man. And first he's telling you, young people. So if you consider yourself young, and I'm not going to give an age to that, listen up to what solomon has to say he has a lot of things to tell you here he tells you that he tells you first off in in 11:9 he says rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth walk in the ways of your heart and sight of your eyes but know that for all these things god will bring you into judgment Enjoy the fact that you're young. It's often been said, youth is wasted on the young, right? right you've got all the energy and the potential in the world, but none of the wisdom to do anything good with it. So rejoice in, in your youth. Re- enjoy what you've got. And, and listen, and he says, have fun, man. Go after your heart's desires. Go after the things that you see, but recognize there will be judgment. Then on judgment day, saying Well, I was young, doesn't matter it doesn't make it less judged but if you think you know in the psalms we're told desire put desire the lord uh, delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart right now we misinterpret what that means i think Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we think, oh, if I'll just love Jesus, then I'll get the car that I wanted. I'll get the job that I wanted. I'll get the wife that I wanted. It's not really how it works. So when he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart, he's saying, let him be your source of joy. Let him be what you chase after, and you will find great joy in there and realize that the desires of your flesh is not what he's talking about. See, your flesh desires the money, but your heart desires security. And money will never give you that. No matter how much you have. In the movie, The Bucket List, Jack Nicholson's character says, don't worry about money, that's all I have. And when Morgan Freeman's character pushes in a little bit on his relationship with his daughter, he breaks the relationship with Morgan Freeman. Money's all he has. See, we want money because we want security, right? We want money because we want to go. I don't care how many bills come in. I don't care how much that costs. I got to experience a small taste of that once in my life. We were engaged for a year and a half to be married. It was a long time. But in that time, I worked a lot of jobs. worked side jobs. I just saved money like crazy. I just stockpiled cash because we didn't have a lot of bills. We were still living kind of off of mom and dad. And so I'm just stockpiling cash because I wanted at least once in our life so I knew it probably would never happen again, and it hasn't. To just be able to say, whatever you want, baby. I got the money. As long as she didn't want to buy a car or jewelry. Which, luckily, she didn't. But we went to Disney World on our honeymoon, and I had stockpiled cash from working all these jobs. And if she wanted a $7 water, I got her a $7 water. <laughs> right? And we want money because we want to have that ability, right? We feel like being able to do that all the time would give us just joy and security. And Solomon's already told us a number of times that it doesn't. It doesn't give you that. The desire of our heart is security. The desire of our flesh may be money. So chase after the Lord. Enjoy life. But then he says in 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth in the dawn of life or vanity. So listen to me, young people. And I'm included in that, I think. Depending on who you ask. Don't wait to get things right with the Lord. Don't wait to make Him the, the drive of your life. Don't wait to make Him your everything, right? We, we want to put it off because... And I think so often we misunderstand what this is about. We think that this is about whether we get to go to heaven or not. Listen, heaven's going to be amazing. We can't even describe what heaven's going to be like. This is why death is gain, right? But to live is Christ. Not just death is gain. To live is Christ. So now, now you get to experience a little bit of heaven. And why would you wait? If all it is is heaven, then yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to just wait. I mean, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do now and then... Hopefully I got a heads up before I die, and I can handle it then. What are you waiting on? If he is the creator of the universe, and he's told you, delight in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll give you peace that can't be explained. I'll give you joy that can't be shaken. I'll give you purpose that you can't imagine. Why would you wait? So if you're young in here, what are you waiting on? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. For the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. For the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. As Jack Nicholson's character said, Forty-five years goes by pretty fast. If you're not careful, you're going to be like everybody else on this earth. And you're going to look back and wish you'd have done it different. Don't waste your youth. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Make it about him now. But he moves from the young to the old because the conclusion that he makes is, for the young people, you need, you need to invest now because there will come a day when you won't find pleasure in life like you do now. So then he moves to the old. In verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. He's talking about arms and hands. And eventually, given enough time, your arms and hands are going to start to shake. And they're going to be a little weaker than they were. The strong men are bent, talking about legs and back, no longer able to stand up straight as you walk. And the grinders cease because they are few, your teeth. And those who look through windows are dimmed, your eyesight starts to go. Mine's already pretty bad, so. And the doors of the street are shut, the pursing of your lips becomes more difficult to even use your mouth as much. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and the daughters of the song are brought low, as the hearing starts to go, they are afraid of what is high, and the tears are in the way. Uh, man, I remember in college being fearless, right? I mean, I remember doing stupid stuff. I remember one time tying a a ski rope to the back of a truck and getting on a skateboard and just going as fast as I could into a porta potty, just because I thought it would make a fun video. I was fearless. At that point in my life, if you'd have said, I bet you can't jump off that, I'd have just jumped off of it. Now, if you told me to jump off these stairs, I would think about it for a second. That's gonna hurt. Right? You start to lose a little bit of that as you get older, which is a good thing. Goes back to earlier when he said, put away pain from your body. Don't be dumb when you're young. You'll regret it later. But then he also says, the almond tree blossoms, the hair starts to go gray or white. The grasshopper drags itself along and the desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Now mind you, Solomon, who had a thousand women at his disposal it says desire starts to fail you like even like he doesn't even want to do anything with them anymore all of our pleasures will eventually fail us verse six before the silver cord is snapped our spinal cord or the golden bowl is broken your skull or the pitcher shattered at the fountain your heart or the will broken at the cistern your vascular system And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He takes us back to the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, right? The very beginning of Ecclesiastes. He said this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Absurdity of absurdities, all is absurd. Enigmas of enigmas, all is enigmatic. Havel of Havel, all is Havel. This word that he's used all throughout this. He's saying to us, listen, as you're young, don't waste your youth, because there will come a day when all those pleasures and all those things will fail you. But I also know that as we look into the New Testament, we are told not to even waste our, our elderly years, our older years. Because listen, I am going to tell you, to, to die is game, but to live is Christ. If we look at Titus, if we look at everything that we see in 2 Timothy, if we look at these things, we see that, listen, we should not be divided young and old. So listen to me, older people, whether you want to qualify yourself as that or not. We need you. We need you. Think back to when you were 33, 34 years old like me. What it would have been like to have some older people pour into you. You know, there's a lot of research out there about millennials. Not only are they the largest generation ever, I think they're probably the most researched generation ever. There are more articles about millennials than there are any other generation. Do you know one thing you find pretty consistent among millennials? They desire to be mentored, but they're not going to ask for it. They desire to have someone further along in life come alongside them and pour into them. But they're usually not going to ask for it. So, listen to me if you've got breath in your lungs and an affection for the Lord and His Word, do not keep that to yourself. Instead of looking at all the young people and just saying those young punks or those young idiots, step in. We need your help. Help us see the way. So that we don't find ourselves regretting that we would have done things differently. So as a young person, I plea to our older people, step up. We need you. We don't just need you here. We don't just need you to come here. We don't just need you to show up. We don't just need your tithe. We don't just need it. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your age. We need you to speak in. We need your prayers. We need to know that we're getting them. If you've got breath in your lungs, if you still require oxygen from God, it's because he has something for you. Because to live is Christ. Now to die is gain. So let's look at what Paul says about this as we close. Paul says in Philippians 1, 18 through 30. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And you can replace your own name there. You can say, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for Jimbo. That means fruitful labor for you. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ. For for that is far better. See, this is the opposite of the fear of death here. Paul's struggle here. Is he wants to die. He's not suicidal, he's not, he's not about to hang himself, but he's just going, I struggle here, man. If I had the choice, if it were completely in my hands, and I had the choice, I mean, I really desire to go home, right? I desire to be in my home. I desire to no longer struggle with sin. I desire to no longer struggle with sorrow and heartache. I desire to no longer cry tears of heartbreak. I desire to no longer see sin take over everyone else around me. I desire that all the time. When I see sin swallow up people... There's a part of me, if I'm honest, that goes, Lord, just take me home. I don't want to do this anymore. It'd be so much better just to be with you. Listen, that's not suicidal. That's just a realistic view of the fact that heaven's a lot better than here. We shouldn't fear death. We should almost envy death amongst believers. So what is? What does Paul say then in 24? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, it'd be a lot better off for me if I could just go ahead and be home with the Lord and glory. Like if I die, you can cry for yourselves if you want, but don't cry for me because I'm doing way better than I was. But it's better if I stay. It's, it's better on your account if I stay. Now, I pray. I want to live the kind of life where that could be said true of me. I want to live the kind of life where I could say, you know, it's better for you that I stay here instead of go to heaven just yet. On your account, it's better. And listen, not just because I'm a pastor. I want you to have that same desire. I want you to read what Paul here says and go, I'm going to live my life in such a way in fruitful labor for the sake of Christ that it's better for those around me that I stay for a while. And not just better because they like having you around, and not just better because you're fun, and not just better because you're family, but better because you point them to Christ. That you minister to them in the name of Christ. He says, convinced of this. So he's come to his resolution. He's debated amongst himself. If if I could do it, I'd just go home. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on, on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, he takes it from himself to them. It sounds braggadocious what he's saying, but he's constantly pointing to Jesus. He's saying, convinced of this, I'm going to live my life in such a way that you will be blessed. Because I will continually point you to Jesus. But don't just leave it with me. You, listen to me, church. You, everyone in here, hear this. You live a life in a manner worthy ...of the gospel. This is why you have breath. This is why you're here. For no other reason... ...are you here. You're not here to sit in a pew. You're not here just to hold a job. Although Solomon tells us... ...do the work you've been given. But do it for Christ. Live the life you've been given. Live your portion for the sake of Jesus... Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul tells them, I'm going to do everything I can to get to you. And it's better that I get to you than I die and go to heaven for you. For me, it's better to just go ahead and go to heaven. For you, it's better that I get out of jail right now, where I'm writing this from, and I get to you, and I come to you, and I minister to you so that you can continue to better live a life manner of the gospel. But here's what I want you to know, that whether I show up or not, you have a responsibility to do this. Listen, we're not a huge church. We're a fairly, fairly decent-sized church. We're, the average church in America is somewhere around 65, 75. We're a little bit bigger than that. but We're big enough. I cannot adequately pastor and shepherd every one of you by myself. I can't. It's, it's just not possible. We need to be the church to each other. We need to take care... Of each other. We need to have the weight of that responsibility on all of us. Together. Now I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you all that I've got. Everything I can. Short of sacrificing my family. I'm going to do everything I can to make much of Jesus to this church or die trying. But I'm not enough. Good pastors don't make great churches. Great churches make great pastors. Great churches make growth happen. We got to do this together. To live is Christ. Let's make our lives about Christ. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Anything great that you pursue in life will require suffering. Nothing great has ever been accomplished without required suffering in the process. Think back to the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence. That Declaration of Independence that we celebrate this weekend. They all suffered for the sake of that. Look at the life of the apostles of Jesus and how their lives ended. They all suffered for the sake of something great. And because of their suffering, because of the suffering of the apostles... We have Christ. Because of the suffering of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, we have freedom. It is, we stand on the shoulders of the suffering. So don't be scared to go through it. He says, don't be scared of your opponents. Don't be scared of the suffering. Don't be surprised by the suffering. Remember again, this is not our home. This is a tent. This is temporary. So, I want you to be a little tired, if I'm honest. And listen, not for the sake of this organization that we could grow the numbers here, for the sake of the kingdom. I want you to be tired for the sake of the kingdom and recognize that eternally you'll be fine. Don't worry about the rest, the the, the suffering, and the the wearisomeness of here. Because, listen, it can't be avoided. Because here's the reality that Solomon also tells us several times in Ecclesiastes. Not only will you suffer if you attempt great things, you're going to suffer if you don't attempt anything at all. I mean, this is a broken world. I mean, this this world is broken and crooked, and we can't make it straight. So if you're going to suffer either way, you might as well make your life stand for something. You might as well make it last. You might as well make eternal investments. That last after here. Because here's the deal. God didn't even spare his own son from suffering. So that you could be here today. And no matter what the law says, be free. See, God saw how broken the world was. God saw that we would all suffer no matter what. And God saw that in that brokenness, he couldn't have a relationship with us. We couldn't have a relationship with him. We could not attain a relationship with him. There had to be a price paid for what we had done because he is the ultimate holiness. He is the ultimate being. He is so set apart, so holy. We can't enter into his presence without some price being paid. There is an exclusivity to this thing. And listen, Christians, the world's going to tell you to be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. The exclusivity is where the hope lies. The hope lies in the fact that God does give us a way. That it's not some sort of postmodern, do whatever you want to do and maybe it'll work out. That's way too scary to me. I want to know. I want to know that I get to be with my God. And so he created a way for us to do that, but it wasn't free. It is not a free gift. It is a costly gift. Our God came down and he put on flesh. And he died a criminal's death that should have been ours so that we could have life with him. And he rose again three days later so that death would be the final enemy defeated. So no matter where we are, we are free if we are free in Christ. Let's bow and pray. God, I pray that our bucket list would include more about your kingdom than ourselves. Lord, I pray that the church in this country would no longer be so susceptible to the enemy that we would be divided generationally, but that we would band together for your sake, those that are older would pour into those that are younger, and those that are younger would listen to those that are older. That we would not waste the life that You've given us, the breath that You've given us. That we would delight in You and find the desires of our heart are only fulfilled in You. Lord, that we would be broken for our sins. we would turn to you for forgiveness and grace and acceptance and hope or that when we come to the end of our lives like Paul we could say I have finished the race or that we could leave it all that you've given us that we would invest it to others for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.